this point, just give me a can with some string on it because I ain't answering this phone. I'm recording a new episode of Miseducation to People. Grieving is a normal part of life that we all unfortunately have to go through. And when we think about grieving, we mostly think about our loved ones who are no longer with us. However, we grieve in many parts of our lives. We grieve when we break up with that person that we thought was the one, when we lose our jobs, or even 2020 when our lives have been changed tremendously. That's why we have Jay Nicole, the grief bully here, to drop some knowledge to help us get through this trying time. Let's go. Beats by Pete Samples. Miseducation. Yep. Welcome to another episode of the Miseducation of the People podcast. New Miseducation. It's your host, the bodyguard with a supremely superb gleam, not mean, Taryn Morgan II. Shout out to the short people that are sad because they can't reach happiness. Black Friday sales are here, so they may have step stools for the low. Shout out to Dave Anderson and the Bully Gang. If you're serious about this podcasting, creative life shit, I mean, you will need a coach. Um, check, check his resume. Do your Googles. I mean, highly recommend him. I mean, so shout out to the gang. Shout out to all the slow ass states that took their time counting these votes. <laughs> Nevada. <laughs> but, um... You know I be knowing people, right? So here go a little secret recording someone sent me from inside of one of the counting facilities, you know. Don't snitch on me, but here we go. Hey, 50, 51, Shout out to Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who is solely responsible for turning that state from red to blue that's big um she did this by registering over eight hundred thousand new voters and with that 90 percent of black youths voted for biden you know we still gotta talk about that 10 percent i mean i don't know what's going on with y'all but um she is definitely a shining example of resilience they stole the governorship from her in 2018 and she came back with a vengeance to make shit right i mean so ultimately that helped biden win so um she better have any spot in the cabinet that she wants for real, for real. And I'm hoping I'm going to see her on the presidential ticket in the very near future because, you know, as usual, black women are carrying and saving this nation as usual. You know what I mean, so, but th- this whole thing has been um, a very anxiety riddled and just funny time too i ain't gonna lie because you know our people gonna come through um with the funniness during times of you know just angst and all that good stuff but uh the election memes have been crazy on twitter somebody on twitter said joe biden told young jeezy to hide the rest of the votes at his auntie's house (laughs) one of the funnier ones too another one saw was uh where they reenacted uh avengers endgame and john lewis popped out of nowhere where our rbg and all the other people who have passed recently (laughs) like it's been hilarious definitely but yeah man life 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 you know um i've really been trying to put more um, emphasis on trying new things, uh, because, you know, we in a pandemic and honestly, you know, you got to really keep yourself engaged, trying new stuff, whatever. But for me, um, I try to on for the first time and, you know, I'm kind of nice at it, kind of natural. You know what I mean, shit, you know, um, with me being a legal medical marijuana patient, you know, I can't necessarily have, um, my card to carry because, you know, due to our 
politicians, the geniuses that run this country, you know, if you have your medical marijuana card, then that means that you forfeit your Second Amendment right to bear arms. So, you know, y'all can keep y'all guns. I'm about to get into these axes. Now, I mean, um, I found this fly ass gold axe on um, Amazon for fifty dollars. Now, I mean, but um, if you got a black owned spot, send them my way too because I want to definitely support our people. But yeah, I gotta get the black and gold axe for real. Now, I mean, so but um, I'm gonna definitely check the laws ASAP though because you know I ain't trying to get caught up in here. But uh, if it's legal. Run up in my house if you want to. Shout out to Stumpies, though. You know, if you want to hit me for that sponsorship, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, judge. I mean, just get at me. I got you. <laughs> but um, we got to talk about that anyway, like the origin of the different noises that we make, because, you know, as black people, we have a very um unique language. You know, we have vernacular and different things that we do that no other culture can understand. And it's always fun to just do it around white people and they don't understand what's going on. So, you know, but um, but there was this one time in Cuba um, where the power of the Europe came in handy. Now, I mean, so, you know, Jersey, New York, we say we say Europe all the time. Right. But in Cuba, there was no phones that we can use at the time. And um, I was trying to get to my people's uh, spot. So we stay all stayed in a few uh, different Airbnbs. And I had took a taxi over there, but I wasn't quite sure of where they were staying at. And of course, my phone didn't work. So what did I go to? to? I said, yeah, yeah. and then they heard me all the way in the back. They're like, yeah, yeah. and then I find the house. Now, I mean, so it's one of those things of like the way we communicate is very interesting. So I got to do some more, more research on that. But I think that'll be a dope topic to really dive into later on. So, you know, I got, I got that. I got that. But if you want to hear more of my velvety voice, you know, <laughs> Check me out on the 30 to Life podcast, speaking about mental health. I really got into my mental health bag on this one, um, especially when it comes to the residual effects of slavery on today's time when it comes to society and behavior. So, you know, go ahead and check that out in the show notes. Um, and, you know, I, I'm always really, uh, really reflective and introspective about myself. And, you know, one thing that I am proud of, definitely I've been working on it because, you know, past couple years has been super real and life has made me reconsider a lot of shit. But, um, one of the areas of life in particular, you know, the biggest lesson I learned was really to under promise and overperform. Um, I used to be somebody just used to talk all the time, you know, um, and not really necessarily back it up. Sometimes you got to really learn to stop talking when you're not going to execute at all. Um, you definitely lose respect every time that occurs. And, you know, that makes people look at you differently and makes them really judge your character, integrity, whatnot, right? So, like I said, I was a, a talker because it made me feel good. Uh, it fed my ego. That's the main thing, you know, because I always talked about how I was a servant to my ego. My ego didn't serve me. And necessarily, the way I was talking, it wasn't really matching with how popping I was at the time, you know. Because, you know, you think that you're doing stuff, but there's other areas you can work on and whatnot. But now, though, shit... <laughs> I am popping, but my ego won't let you know that. I mean, I won't allow it to do that. You know, um, I can confidently say that I talk a lot of shit now, but I can thoroughly back it up. The receipts are starting to compile and I'm just salivating for the next challenge to conquer. And I mean, um, you won't hear me running my mouth like I used to back in the day because, yeah, but I'm learning to move in silence. Then I just pop out like, damn, damn, damn. I mean, because that's sometimes what you got to do, you know, keep your head low, keep firing. I mean, but. 
the point of this is that you have to learn how to check yourself. Uh, my check came when I had my ego death, when I was suicidal, right? So after that, I had to do an assessment of myself, really like to thoroughly look at Taryn, like, yo, what are you doing with your life? So I physically wrote down plans to get myself out of the hole that I was in, goals that I wanted to achieve and pros and cons of myself, because, you know, none of us are perfect at all. And trust me, I had a lot of flaws, but um, one of my biggest flaws at the time and one of my weaknesses was my finances. But currently I'm actively working on making that one of my top strengths. And, you know, it takes sacrificing going out with your people. It takes literally going through your bank account, writing down every single charge, seeing those subscriptions, you know, those those different things you signed up for a while ago. You forgot about, oh, you got to take that off, you know, because little by little things stack up. And that's one thing I had to thoroughly look at and get real with myself. You have to know where you're starting at. You have to know your base level in order to build a plan to go up, you know? And one thing I really realized was that you cannot do the same shit and expect different results. Um, I see a lot of people uh, doing that. And, you know, I'm not judging because I was there. But you got to stop being complacent and wanting or expecting more to magically come to you, you know? I completely understand that some people like simpler lives and do not wish for more. And I fully respect that. However, don't you dare complain about being a victim or not being given what you think you deserve. I learned that the hard way. And I mean, I had to fall on my ass to get right back up. And that concrete kind of was like a slingshot, you know, because it set me back. You know, that 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 rubber pulled back and then bang, bang, I got launched. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm currently flying high, you know, and I'm taking the lessons that I'm learning and I'm applying it to my life. And I'm also sharing it because like I always say, you know, hope did that. So hopefully you got to go through that, you know, learn from me. And if you walk that walk, you better talk that talk. You know, shit, my mouth is shut while hitting that Joe Biden. They know jog. He hit on the entrance to his acceptance speech. I shout out to all the listeners out there, especially the new listeners. Thank you for the continuous listeners. Appreciate all y'all for real. Uh, we are growing. So, you know, please make sure you're sharing the podcast, rate, review and subscribe only five star reviews, please, you know, black on ting. So, you know, when you do that, it helps us grow, helps people find us. And, you know, this is popping out here. We trying to make things happen. You know, make sure you sign up for our email list. We got some stuff that's going out. You know, we haven't been sending it yet, but, you know, we, we getting on it. Got some pretty cool stuff, some prizes, some announcements we making very soon because, you know, we doing big things over here. Uh, make sure you are following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Real Talk Session Series and let us know your thoughts. We like talking to our people, you know, we we don't really, it's just still weird calling people fans and whatnot, but you know, our followers, you know, our supporters and all that stuff, but we definitely appreciate y'all. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, we're actually coming up on our two year anniversary on December 9th. So it, it's amazing to see the growth that we've had within two years, you know, and we have our finished real strong challenge coming for December. You know, more details will be coming soon. So please make sure you're following us on social media. We still have the Melanated Mental Health Moment Quarantine Edition videos going on. Uh, this week, we are dropping a new video on tips and tricks on how to reduce your screen time. Because right now with the pandemic, you know, mental health issues are on a rise and technology can have a negative effect on our mental health. So, you know, just trying to provide people with the information so they can get right mentally. You know what I mean? 
Um, and we do have one more video with Juju Bay coming along and we may have some more little special surprises coming too, but you have to subscribe to our YouTube in order to find that out. Now, I mean, uh, make sure you get that merch. Uh, we do have those hoodies dropping just in time for black Friday, you know, coming very soon. So like I said, make sure you follow us on these social media platforms, email lists, you know, you're going to get the information and you may get a little discount code. Now I mean, <laughs> and probably the best thing about our merchandise is that all proceeds are investments to our mission to bringing easily accessible educational resources to black communities across this nation. We're trying to empower people. We're trying to provide information that isn't widely known. This show is called the miseducation of the people, you know, and we're trying to debunk and, you know, really deprogram our people from all the BS that we've been taught all the years. And best of all, we do offer free shipping on all orders. That's right. Free shipping. So, you know, get that merch and support us. We out here doing stuff, you know, we getting active. And if you would like to donate, that is also an option. Please visit realtalksessionseries.org. Thank you. All right, so on to some news and to see what the fuck is going on out here, right? So first off, I want to say rest in power to Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy. That man is definitely like um, admirable uh, inspiration. He lost his battle to pancreatic cancer, which he had for a minute, and he was hosting Jeopardy until the very end. So, you know, uh, I just send nothing but well wishes to his family and, you know, just happy that he's no longer in pain and discomfort. And you all know the biggest news. We got the Cheeto in charge. Trump the fuck out of here. Get the fuck, Get out, the of fuck out of here. Fully told Trump. This is cold but you know we got him out the office but step two now is holding biden and harris accountable um those two in particular have made some very big promises and you know uh these politicians love to pander and sell dreams without delivering when it's time to really come through and we need to stay as engaged if not more now that they are in office um it's a beautiful thing that you know a lot of people who previously weren't active in uh, voting in politics, uh, they became, um, you know, more aware with everything going on with Trump's reelection. However, you know, we often um, lose steam after the uh, presidential elections. But, you know, we got to continue to stay active politically, um, get on those midterm elections, stay active in your local elections, because like I always say, change comes from the bottom up, you know, um, we got to see who's around us first. And then those changes come from those people. You know, they're able to speak for us more directly. Um, go to your local um, town hall meetings. I know it, you may not think about, think about it, but they actually do take your opinions in there. You're able to actually see who locally is making these policies and laws that affect you. You know, so make sure that you're known there. Shout out to Kamala, though. Uh, she is the first woman, the first black person, the first person of color ever to hold the VP position. I know they mad as hell. Insert Cameron meme. Not me. <laughs> but uh, first fam all day, of course, of course, you know, a.k.a. from Howard. Shout out to you. I, I do not take this lightly because, you know, representation matters and little girls across this nation can realistically see themselves holding powerful positions like this. So, you know, shout out to her in terms of this transition. Um, your boy, your man's, um, Trump, some info leaked that he told one of his peoples that the secret service will have to drag him out of the white house, kicking and screaming. 
typical little kid fashion like that man is. But, you know, um, I don't really see him uh, going away after the inauguration. Um, I can definitely see him starting some kind of platform where he can still engage his cult following. Uh, speaking of which, um, in case y'all didn't notice, but I think it was last weekend. Yeah, November 1st. Yes. Uh, Trump supporters in New Jersey blocked Parkway North. And for those who are not from New Jersey or aware, right, Parkway North is a major highway in New Jersey. And there is probably about, um, they said hundreds of cars and there were about 11 arrests made with that. So these people out here are crazy. So be careful around them, uh, especially them diehards. If you live in like these little rural towns. Uh, you know, you see them blue lines sometimes as an indicator for stuff. I ain't going to lie. Um, or them Trump 2020 stuff. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be a peaceful transition. However, I'm going to send nothing but positive vibes and protection to all my people out here. You know, but I ain't going to lie. I was a little uh, petty. I had rolled through the uh, the towns that had all the Trump flags around where I live at and where my grandma lives. And I was blasting fuck Donald Trump all day long. So it, it was a beautiful, glorious thing, you know. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Trump. A form of self-care for me, you know, because petty is life, you know what I mean? <laughs> but in other news, legalized recreational weed has one big also in this election. Uh, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota have cleared cannabis for adult use, bringing the number of states total to 15 for that purpose. Oregon also decriminalized the use of all drugs. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Bro. Motherfucking crack. <laughs> That's from actually uh, Clint from Love at the Lockup. That is my shit right there. Motherfucking crack. <laughs> but um, Oregon is, is definitely very interesting. Um, so just give you a little background on it because it, you know, when you hear the decriminalized all drugs, it's like, yo, what's going on? But, you know, let me just break it down to you. So, Oregon will remove criminal penalties, including prison time, for possessing small amounts of currently illegal drugs and will give those caught with the drugs the option of either paying a $100 fine or getting a completed health assessment at an addiction recovery center. The sale of the drug will still be illegal, so don't expect stores or pharmacies selling cocaine or heroin to pop up, and I mean, at least legally, but... um. The state will also now redirect existing marijuana sales tax revenue and savings from the, from the measure. For example, savings from uh, reduced prison time towards setting up a more expansive drug addiction treatment and recovery program. Um, advocates say Measure 110 replaces a criminal justice centered approach to drugs with a public health one. So I think it's very important, you know, um, to watch what they're doing there. Uh, because normally we have the habit of just throwing in people, our loved ones who are addicted to drugs, who usually are facing mental health issues. We just toss them away into jail. But with Oregon, you know, it seems like they're actually treating them like human beings, getting them the assistance that they need. Um, hopefully it's not just white people. Hopefully they're treating black people and other people of color um, equally when it comes to this. But you know how they usually do, you know. But, you know, it's very interesting that Oregon made this uh, move and hopefully this can be a better model for the rest of this country. Because, you know, oftentimes, like I said, people who are addicted to drugs, we kind of just throw them away and we don't provide them with second hope. You know, certain things happen in life, different traumas, 
And, you know, we, we don't really have a human um, empathetic stance when it comes to things. So, you know, it's important that we're actually, you know, becoming more human. So shout out to Oregon for that one. Right. Today's episode is a very much needed one. We have seen many deaths as a result of coronavirus. We've lost many friends and family members throughout the years. And how the way that we used to live a year ago no longer exists. And the commonality of all of this is that grieving is involved with all of these different things. It's easy for some and it's hard for others, including myself. So that's why I had to have Jay Nicole, the grief bully, to join me on today's episode to get us through this process. So here we go. Hey, what's going on, Jay Nicole? Thank you for being a guest on the Miseducation of the People. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Taryn. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And um, you're, you're one of the people on the internet that, you know, recently connected with within the past few years that, you know, you get like a certain vibe from people with good energy. You know what I mean, so that's why I appreciate you, you know, and I listen to your podcast, your videos and stuff like that. And you just have that calming voice. So I appreciate you and thank you for that. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so can you tell us about yourself and a little bit about the Grief Bully podcast? Absolutely. So my name is Jay Nicole. I am the Grief Bully. I'm from alongside New Jersey. I am a life impacting communicator, an author. I'm just someone who basically have dedicated my life and my work and my purpose is what I think it is, is to help my community with grief and loss and just trying to navigate that, which all stem from my own personal losses that I've suffered over the last couple of years. And so I share on my Instagram, just the raw, uncut, the truth and the realities that some people can identify with when it comes to grief and loss. So, but yeah, alongside New Jersey and that's, that's me. Okay, that's dope, that's dope. And like one thing that instantly made uh, that stood out was the name. It was dope. Um, I like that for real. So shout out to the Blue Heart Gang. That's the little thing you got going on on Instagram. So how did you come up with the podcast and what inspired you to adopt the Blue Heart uh, initiative that you usually do? Absolutely. So the podcast, I've actually, I graduated from Rowan University with my degree in journalism. And I remember feeling like, man, I wish I would have did broadcast because I always kind of wanted to do something along those lines. But then I felt that time had passed and it was just like, whatever. So I wanted to really focus on how to draw the attention, how to bridge that gap, how to really get my message out when it came to grief. And I'm like, you need to go directly into people's ear without a distraction, without too much visual or anything along those lines. And so I decided to research podcasting first. I watched tons of YouTube videos, really looked into it to really see what my commitment could be. Could this be the best avenue for me? And I love to talk. If you follow me on social media or if you listen to the podcast, then you'll know that I can talk. I'll talk to a wall. And so I figured that would be the best avenue for me. And the grief bully itself concept came from the fact that I personally was tired of my grief bullying me. I felt like it was ganging up on me because I was having huge losses back to back within three year spans. And so I'm like, you know what? If we can just bully grief together, if we can just gang up on grief and fight back as a community. So that's what the grief bully came from. It's not a negative connotation, how we normally view the word bully. It's more of a positive spin on it to help our community feel stronger in numbers and to be able to fight back. And so August 19th, 2019, which was my late grandmother's birthday, I launched a podcast. Okay. So we just recorded episode 66 and, and we've been rocking and rolling from there. To answer your other question in terms of the Blue Heart Gang, that actually derived from Instagram. When I would write a quote or a video that I would post and I would say, I still say, 
drop a blue heart if you feel me. And blue just kind of goes along with my, my vibe, my brand colors, with the podcast. And then it was a great way for someone who might not have a voice that I do and feeling more comfortable to speak up that they can just drop something so subtle, but to show commonality and togetherness within the community. And so now sometimes when I don't even say drop a blue heart, people do it anyway. And I dubbed it the blue heart gang. And that's where we are. That's dope. That's dope. And shout out to your grandmother, Leo gang. Now me and my birthday is August 18th. So, okay. you know, greatness, greatness, you know, yeah. pleasure being around her greatness, you know. Yeah, for real. Um, definitely. Um, and one thing I, I like to kind of going back to your intro, uh, what you spoke about being a life impacting communicator. Can you break that down and what it means to people? Because I think that's an important part of kind of like the grieving process and what you're doing, because, you know, um, I know for me, uh, I didn't really, I wasn't really taught about grieving and um, what the process was and exactly what it was. So, you know, the fact that the communication piece, that's how people learn about things. So can you break that down? What does the life impacting communicator do in your definition? Absolutely. So I think a lot of people would maybe refer to me as perhaps a motivational speaker. And I may have referred to myself as such in the past. But what I realized, Taryn, was I'm not really trying to motivate people. You know, bro, like, I'm not trying to say, hey, I, I want to motivate you. I want to I want to get you riled up. I don't think grief is is a aspect of our lives that we can be motivated through. I think we can absolutely be encouraged and inspired, but I want to have a life impact while I'm communicating. So that doesn't have anything to do with motivation. I think it's fleeting. I think you're motivated with anything in your life for short increments of time and you kind of go up and down. I think when it comes to navigating through, through grief, we have to have an impact. And I don't want to talk just to fill space. That's what it was. It was like, you know what? No, I'm a life impacting communicator. If you have a conversation with me, if you follow me on social media, if you listen to my podcast, your life and my goal is to have your life impacted in a positive way. And so like you said, most people aren't really familiar with what grief is, but most people have been experiencing grief their entire lives even from our childhood, right? Because grief by definition just means deep sorrow. It doesn't mean death of loved one. And even though my mission more specifically is about the loss of a loved one, grief in general is more than that. And so when I'm communicating, what it also does, Taryn, that title, that, I don't want to say title, but more so, I guess the, it could be a title of what I am is it holds me accountable, also. So when I'm speaking and when I'm posting, I'm not posting just for the likes. I'm not posting just to post, you know, I'm posting because I'm thinking this is how I feel today. Maybe someone else feels like this today, or this is what I was thinking about. This is what someone else might be feeling. So I want someone to be able to say, wow, get out of my head. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was feeling. Not like, wow, I got 1000 likes. Okay. Did you impact anybody's life today though, Jay Nicole? Yep. And that's dope too. I I like that you do that. And the fact that, um, you know, you're putting yourself out there in that story and it's more from an authentic point of view. It's not for the clout. And I, I can see really it's more so the purpose leaks out of your work. And that's one thing that I do appreciate, you know, um, it, it's very authentic because, you know, it is going off of your life. And, you know, grieving is something that I know I've struggled with. Um, like it wasn't taught to me within my neighborhood, within my family, within my community. And I learned the hard way when I fell rock bottom, definitely how to properly grieve and all that stuff. Like, um, I come from a very large family. And when I say very large family, we have like a family reunion every single year of 300 people. So I've dealt with a lot of losses over the, the years, you know, and 
for me, like I said, I, I learned how to grieve properly from falling down on my behind and hitting rock bottom. So I know you mentioned that you had uh, three passions back to back, and that kind of is what made you like, let's bully grief, right? But how did you actually learn how to properly grieve? You know, and what was that beginning process like? Yeah, definitely. So I think in 2013, I lost one of my close friends. That was in 2013. She was 25. And it was out of nowhere, very unexpected. And at that time, I realized that I didn't have any guidance. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I felt I felt really scared. I felt confused. I felt hurt, overwhelmed. And no shade to anyone in my life, by all means. There was people there and who showed support. But there was no guidance in terms of how do you move through this? How do you navigate through this? And so really, in, in reality, I just kind of internalized. I did a couple of poems, spoken, spoken word about it. I published a book and, and looked with some positive quotes and such. But it wasn't anything that hey, was... Real quick, real quick. Plug, plug your book because we got to hear about that book. Oh, man. That's an old one. That's a, that's one that I really don't talk too much about. It was one of those first projects where you're kind of okay. like, oh, man. But it had it had some quotes and certain quotes and poems that I wrote back then. It was called yours truly. I am Jane Nicole. I did dedicate that to my friend. So it always is going to mean so much to me, but that I have that book. Yeah. And then from then I've had two other things that I published as well, which we can get into in just a bit. And so I had that loss and I kind of just had to tuck it in, you know, I had to just push through and just deal with it. But I'm thinking to myself, like maybe other people are doing better with this, but I am really struggling. Like I can't even really wrap my head around the fact that she's dead. And I'm just like, wow, like, do I just, does life just go on? Like, what do you do? And so for a couple of years, I just kind of battled and dealt with that. I don't drink alcohol, so I didn't have any outlet in that way or anything to kind of distract. So I'm a person who deals with emotions full on. There's no escape opportunity for me. And so that was 2013. But then you fast forward to 2016. Now, this is when things really got crazy. My grandmother, who is my world, absolute world, everything to me, safe haven, she died in March 15, 2016. And when that happened, that's when I really got scared. I'm like, okay, like I think I'm, I think I'm going out of my mind. I don't feel like I'm myself. I feel like I'm very uncomfortable. I used to tell people I felt like I was naked in the world. Like I just, I just didn't feel good. So at that point, I had to reach out to a grief therapist. I had to get some kind of help. And so I got therapy and I was like maybe one, two or three different therapists I think I had at that time. And none of them really were seeming to help too much. You know, it would help for that hour or so that we were having this conversation. But outside of that, once I had to actually learn to do life, I was still struggling. So then I finally found my current therapist and she specialized in grief and she was also teaching and educating me through her own lived experience as well, which I think is really key and has been key in my ability to work through this is someone who's been in similar situations and is also to speak from a clinical and a personal standpoint has been very, very helpful for me. So getting my therapist was, was definitely crucial key. And then just taking accountability, Taryn, I think once you realize you don't want to suffer, you don't want to be a sufferer, you don't want to become a victim, you want to learn to, to carry this, then you start to make steps forward to do that. But I think it ultimately was getting a therapist, making up my mind that I have to continue on. I want to live a, a great life. I want to be happy and I've got to work every day to do so. I always say time alone heals nothing. People who use their time to heal, heal. Mm, I like that. Say that again for me, you say it. <laughs> I got you. Time alone heals nothing. People who use yep. their time to heal, heal. Oh, I like that one. That, that, that stuck right there. I, I like that. That's good. Definitely. 
Um, and that's, that's totally true because, you know, people always say time heals all wounds, but, you know, when you don't address that wound, eventually it becomes an infection. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that uh, I, I like that you mentioned that you went to therapy because for me, I know um, I kind of, I, I built a mental dam um, as a child. So just taking everything in and not expressing it out because, you know, where I'm from, if you express those emotions or feelings that made you a target and quote unquote soft. So, you know, I had that dam up all my life. I thought I was emotionally just uh, empty. But, you know, as an adult, I learned how to really manage that. And that, again, when I hit rock bottom, that's how I learned everything from um, taking proper care and learning how to properly grieve. And therapy did help me out. I didn't have the greatest therapist, but um, through my training, I used to work in, well, I yeah, I used to work in emergency response for students for over like 10 years. Uh, so helping out students with mental health issues, suicidal ideation, some of them dealt with losses. So, you know, I had that uh, formal experience, but, you know, actually going through it, it taught me to appreciate my teachings more and allowed me to be more apathetic with people. I mean, empathetic with people too. So, um, yeah, thank you for even bringing up therapy because I think that's crucial that people don't really realize. And the fact that you said a grief therapist because people don't realize that there's different types of therapy out there too. So I'm glad you were able to get that help. Um, so for me, uh, the period of learning how to grieve and just everything with my life, um, it, it really taught me about resilience within myself. So I call this chapter in my life the rebirth of the phoenix, you know. Um, society, life in general, beat me down, took out my light, but then I came, rose from the ashes stronger than ever with my light shining stronger than ever and just driven more than whatever, you know, I've been in the past. So what chapter of your life are you in and what is the crucial lesson that you are getting right now? Wow. I think that's one of the, one of the best questions I've been asked in any interview that I've had thus far. (laughs) So shout out to you, King, with that. I think that's, you got me thinking when you were talking about it, I didn't know the question was going to be posed to myself. And I like that. I really do. And so when I really had to think about it. I think resiliency is the word that definitely sticks out to me. But what I've learned for myself is that my resilience to some extent became a flaw because of the fact that I was so used to pushing and persevering through trauma that I rarely parked and actually just sat in it. So I would say that I'm actually probably in a, in a season, in a chapter of sitting in it and, and hearing from it. So I think that's kind of where I am. And that's not just when it comes to my grief in terms of losses of loved ones, but also grieving and living relationships and people that are no longer in my life or that relationships that haven't been able to just work for whatever reason, just to change even the, the pandemic, like so many things. So I think I'm not so much in a phase of action as I, as I am in a stage of, of sitting in it, I'm, I'm examining the wounds. I'm in the examination process. I'm really peeling back layers and looking at things that are scary and that are, are uncomfortable. I'm seeing growth there, but I'm not, I'm always feeling like I usually feel like I've got to solve these problems and I've got to figure it out right now. And so sometimes you got to be able to find my child, my therapist for this resolution within yourself before you can find reconciliation with other people, if that is even possible, if they're still alive, et cetera. So I think that's the stage that I'm in. I'm just kind of like, okay, Jay Nicole, what's that mean to you? How can we work through this? What would working through it look like? What do you even want? Because sometimes to not even know what healing would look like for you, it's like, where am I even trying to go? 
So I think that's that's where I am, if that can answer that question, is I'm in chapter, sit your behind still, and really listen to what's going on, and then we can form a plan, and not even so much a plan, but just we can put little actions forward each day, maybe, but right now, we're going to just be here and see what see what you have to work on. I'm actually coming out of that season. Um, 2018, 2019 was like, sit your behind down, because <laughs> like, I was always go, 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 you know, and... Like Rihanna said, work, 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 work. Like, it was always going and not having the chance to sit down, you know. And one thing that you said from that last piece was reconciliation. Like, with grieving, it's not just with people, but it's also with, like, the former uh, version of yourself. Mm-hmm. With jobs, with just the change of environment, like you said, the pandemic, really. So, with me, um, I, I, I utilize vices such as liquor and women to... Um, suppress my emotions. This was back in the day during college. So, you know, I didn't know any better. I wasn't taught about relationships and all that stuff. And from that, I carried a lot of shame and guilt because, you know, I, I saw all of that come back to me during depression because depression puts up a mirror to all the ugliness within yourself. So for me, I had to reconcile with everything and, you know, kind of forgive myself because I didn't know better. And I didn't know that I was acting out because it was a response to the trauma and stuff that I didn't deal with from the past from my, my childhood and all that stuff. So, you know, um, reconciliation definitely was big for me then. So I'm glad that you spoke on that really. And I hope that you come out of your chapter even stronger and, you know, just more focused and whatnot um, and ready to accomplish any goals that you may have. Thank you. No problem at all. So we've been talking about grief, right? What are the stages? Let's break this down for the people. Um, and I know that you have a different idea about the stages and whatnot. So I really want you to go into your individual thought about it. So can you just break down the different stages of grief that exist, please? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I think it's funny whenever whenever that question comes up in terms of this five stages and you know what's my thought and what do I feel and what's my opinion on it, I think it's super important that people ask me that question that I'd be completely honest. And even when someone mentions it on my podcast, as far as their belief system or what have you, I, I've, I've felt reluctancy at times because I didn't want to like call someone out or have a confrontation, but I respectfully will say this. The five stages of grief were developed by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And from my education and my research, again, I'm not a therapist, a psychologist, none of the above. So I stand corrected if there's anything that I say that's not accurate. But from my understanding, it was created to help terminally ill people deal with, come to grips with their own mortality. So it wasn't necessarily created for a bereaved person to navigate and deal with the loss of their loved one or their grief or whatever that is. And so I think those two things, that is very, very important to understand a distinction because someone... For example, my father was dying and I had to watch him try to come to grips with his own mortality and how he was having to deal with that and how I was having to deal with that were two different things. And after he took his last breath, it didn't end for me. And so when you talk about the five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance, for one, it's not linear the way in which people and some some educators, some professionals, clinicians like to say that, oh, you're going to go through these five stages and then you'll arrive at this point of acceptance. And I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. So it's not that I don't think that you experience denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance during your 
your stages, if you will. I mean, during your grief process, I think you do. Mm. But I think for me, it's the stages, right? You know how everybody's been saying now it's the blank for me. Well, it's the stages mm. for me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's linear. I don't think it's something that you can generally put because I think it also puts us in a box for our healing. It's like, if, right. if I didn't experience these parts, then maybe I'm not al- moving along this process. Maybe I'm not getting closer to healing, but some people never really deal with fully anger. And I personally don't know that we'll fully accept these losses. This is just, again, I can only speak from my personal lived experience and some people's conversations I've had this about. I think for me, what what I've accepted is that my life will no longer be the same. And so I've, I've accepted that, yeah, they may not come back to an extent. But there, but but I'm not always on that page. There's times there was not last year. I think the year before, my grandmother has been passed away for almost four years, and I called her house. I called her house, like her house doesn't exist. Like in my mind, obviously I know she's dead, but a part of me still called her. So what can I say? And it's been years. So what I say, I'm at it. I've accepted it. I don't. It's not every day. I don't feel that way. And so I just feel like that's for me. I don't know that we ever fully get to that point. We can accept parts of it that for me, once I was able to start to heal was that my life won't be the same life as I knew it won't be the same because these people aren't here. But as far as really being like, yes, they are dead. They are never coming back and always being okay with that. No, I'm not there. So I don't know if that, if that kind of brings any light to it, but it's not that I don't think people experience these emotions. I just think that it's not the same for everyone. It's not general and it's not linear. And that, that's mm-hmm. what it is. And also there's plenty other things that people experience outside of these five, or sometimes you see 12 stages. That was a lot. I, know, I, know. I went in there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's thoroughly appreciated. It sounds like you need to rewrite that theory, you know, because a white woman probably wrote that originally, but you know, black women be uh, doing stuff right all the time. So, you know, yeah. Go ahead and get yeah. that uh, the academic credential right there popping real quick. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, I like that. Um, I, I like how you brought it up because it definitely is not linear at all. Um, and I know I've hit the different stages several points in my life, and it wasn't necessarily like one, two, three, four. It was like one, four, two, five. So exactly. different things, you know. And um, I had a similar experience. Like you said that uh, you called your grandmother's house, and it's been years since she's lived there, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So with me, um, I actually witnessed my grandmother like there, you know, when everything happened, them trying to resuscitate her. And she had this chair she used to sit in for the longest. Like all whenever I go over there, she was always sitting there. And it took me years to actually go back into the house. And then like, I would say probably maybe two, three years, it took me maybe about like over five years to actually sit in her chair. So it's definitely a process, you know, and it's like those different barriers and all that good stuff. So. Um, so I credit, I credit you for even being able to to go to the house and sit in there. So my family, we we sold her home, but part of the reason why I didn't try to like buy her house or anything like that was at the time I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't. It was like something yeah. where I just couldn't be, you know. And then now I kick myself. I wish that I, you know, would have because there's times where I feel like I wish I could go there. But I don't know how that would be, you know, without without them being there. My dad and my grandmother both, because they're both now deceased. So that would be very difficult. They both live there. So shout out to you for being able to do that. Yeah, only because my grandfather still lives there. So I'm uh, like, you know, going there and whatnot. You but, 
Yeah, but for many years, I wasn't even going over there because of everything, dealing with grief and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but glad I got past this, that, that period of my life. So definitely. So what are some of your strategies when it comes to grieving? Um, I know that people have the different techniques and we're going through a lot right now. So, and people may not even know how to grieve properly, you know, so I want to make sure that we're providing um, just some insights of what other people do that are more positive routes, more positive coping strategies, because, you know, people often turn to liquor, weed, food, um, drugs to deal with what they're going through emotionally. So like, what are some things that you do strategy-wise when, you know, you're beginning to grieve or, you know, you're like, you're feeling something? So, yeah. So like I said before, I don't drink or I don't do any drugs or anything along those lines, but food definitely became an unhealthy coping mechanism for me, being more of an emotional eater. So that was something that definitely was a negative. And I say was because I'm currently working through that and just making sure that I'm not using food for a high and using it because I need to eat. And, you know, so really working on that distinction. But from a healthy standpoint, I'm a communicator. I'm a verbal person. So I will have conversations and sometimes those are by myself. Sometimes I I speak out loud and because it's important to say, and I learned this again through just research and education, what is the tape, what is the tape playing? So what is the tape saying? So I think it's important sometimes to actually, whatever you're thinking inside, to say it out loud so you or someone else can hear it. And then you can decipher, is this, is this even accurate? Like this sounds bizarre this sounds whatever you know because it's sometimes you really have to understand what you're thinking or what you're feeling so that's very beneficial to me to say okay what is this saying like is you're you're panicking over this or you're feeling like you know uneasy about this so let's talk about it what what are you actually think you're feeling also i think journaling is a a big thing as well because not everyone is verbal and so they might not feel comfortable so it allows you that space to that safe space if you will to be able to vent and to just freely write and speak out how you're feeling it. And also the reason why that's been huge too, Taryn, is because when you feel like on your grieving process that you're not making any progress, you can flip mm-hmm. back a couple pages and say, hey, actually, last month I was struggling with this and this two yeah. months down the road, I'm doing a little better. Because we're harder on ourselves for the most part. We don't really see that progress. And so you can even look back and reference and say, oh man, wow. I actually am doing a little bit better because sometimes just doing a little bit better is a big thing. Also exercise. The other morning I woke up super anxious. I just, I have something, some things going on personally with my family and I felt super anxious and I'm like, you know what? Instead of just sitting here in this anxiety pit and just waiting for it to spiral out of control, I'm going to put my shoes on. It's like 7am and just go for a walk. It wasn't even about running or, or really hitting it hard. Cause some people don't work out. They don't exercise. But we all walk for the most part, unless you have a handicap where you can't do that. And so I started walking only about like 10 minutes or so. And I felt better. It was just getting my body going, getting me into a different phase. And so I've been trying to do that, like walk or now a little more exercise. Deep breathing is huge for me. And I always overlook like whatever about deep breathing. It sounds stupid to me. But now I'll take deep breaths and I close one nostril on, on the exhale and just like really like feel that breath. It it really, I don't know if it, I really don't know from a clinical standpoint why it, it helps as much, but I do know that I've, I've never felt better when breathing until I close one nostril and just breathe all the way out. And after a couple of minutes, I, you know, I feel a lot better. 
that's been something that's been very beneficial. This also too is something night showers. So like, I mean, dark showers, what I meant to say, like taking a shower with the lights off, maybe you put a candle, maybe you don't, but even just doing that, like even in the daytime, just to not put the light on in the bathroom has been like so good for me. Like, just like, okay, it just, I don't know. I saw someone on Instagram mentioned it. He said it helped him. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to just try it. And it, it definitely helps me when it comes to, to that. But I really want to say ultimately when it comes to coping mechanisms, though, I think you need professional help. It's my opinion. People can disagree, but I feel like I could have all the willpower in the world that I've wanted to persevere through this process. But without the guidance of my grief therapist, I think I would still be struggling a lot more. They help you with that crisis part of it. You know, like I'm not equipped to help my help anyone or myself when it comes to being in a state of crisis. And I think when you're bereaved and you lose someone or you're going through that, you lost, first lost your job or whatever the case is, it's very helpful to get someone that can help you get on the right path. Because like my therapist says, ultimately the goal is to learn to grieve well. And how you yep. do life is probably how you will do loss. So we've got to learn to be able to do life well so we can do loss well. And those things go in tandem. And so, yeah, hand in hand in tandem. So that's just a few things off the top of my head. I, I mean, I, again, it's only from my personal experience what I've been able to do. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing your strategies. And um, I'm, I like reading exercises too. And it's something with the system, um, when you're breathing from your stomach, it kind of releases like the kind of endorphins type thing. But mm-hmm. I never tried the one nostril technique. So I'm going to definitely try that next time I do it. Oh, and, and for me, like I do like the showers without the lights on and whatnot. And water it just has been very healing for me. And with my grieving mm-hmm. process and whatnot, and, like I imagine like the water just washing away all the sadness and all the stress and anxiety. And that's kind of what I do. And mm-hmm. really just more so getting more into my spirituality has helped me out, um, especially when it comes to grieving. Um, because, you know, when we think about people and who transition within our lives, you know, we think of that everything's gone. However, they're physically just not here with us anymore. They're still in the spiritual realm and they can do certain things that they couldn't do in the physical. So, you know, just really acknowledging that their presence is around us and still they're protecting us and pouring their love over us. So that's something that I've really had to do when it came to my strategy, when it came to grieving and all stuff, because I'm not exactly a religious person. I was born in the church, but that's just that piece, you know, getting back to what our ancestors used to do, you know, acknowledging their ancestors that were gone. So that's kind of like what I do, really. And that kind of ties into one of the next questions I have for you. What was one of the things, the biggest things that you had to unlearn from your childhood that was holding you back? And once you were able to shed that, you just excelled further than you ever thought you could. Man, you are on a roll. You are on a roll. I love that question. <laughs> I love that question. Yeah. I love that question. And I'm only asking this question because this is also a form of grieving, too, because I, I, wanna, I don't want to make it just uh, about grieving about a person, but more so about ideas in the way of living that we had in the past. So that's another grieving process that we have. No, I love it. I love it because that's what I was going to say to you is that I think a lot of times we overlook the impact that our childhoods have on us. And like I just said, how you do life is how you do loss. So how you've done life as a child to now, it, it, it all goes together. So I really love that question. I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've had to unlearn from my childhood that had me stuck was definitely codependency. And Man, listen, listen, yeah. the reason why I would say that is because I, first of all, I never really knew fully like kind of what that meant. 
And then through my mm-hmm. therapy, we were working through it. And it's like, not only that I'm sad that my grandma died, but it's like, why do you think you're so sad? Why? Like, what is it really? Like, of course, the person died. You're not, you're not going to have them anymore. But it was so mm-hmm. much more than that. Because I dealt with so much in my life. You know, there was domestic violence in my household. There was drugs, alcohol, there was so many things. And my grandmother was a safe haven. So she was like a protecting place for me and a safe place. So when I lost her, I lost that. But with that being said, dealing with so much trauma throughout my life as a kid, I always wanted to help. I always wanted to make it better, make these problems better, whether it's for my parents, for my siblings, for my grandmother, whatever it was now for my nephews. And so it just carried with me where I would drop everything that's going on in my life and put things that I I have to deal with on a back burner to save somebody else. It's like the savior complex. And even when it came to my dad's health and well-being, like I put a lot of that responsibility on me that when he died, I kind of felt like I failed. I kind of felt like I failed. And so I had to really work through that and say, hey, listen, people make their own decisions and it's not my responsibility to solve them. I cannot solve people's problems all the time. And it became so free. And this is like, this is like present day fixing. This is like, this is like (laughs) within this year getting better. (laughs) I still feel myself relapsing at times. Like if some drama goes on and somebody didn't call me, I'm like, what, why didn't they call me? They didn't even tell me. I didn't even know that was going on. But then I started recently just being like, well, I mean, it's, it's a good thing, right? Because I want my family and friends to always know I'm there for them and I'm going to be there for them. But I had to learn a healthy way, right? Like, am I doing this because it's just a, it's just like an unhealthy thing that I've developed through my childhood or is it because I'm just going to be there for my family? So I had to start to like switch to thinking and, and it's still hard sometimes to deal with that. But I'm like, yeah, I mean, you had a crazy life. You had a crazy childhood and I did a lot of things for my younger brother and just kind of like being there for him and, you know, over the times and it's just like letting go. So I would worry so much about all of these people. And I'm just like, you know, you got to You got to live your life for you. It's not that you don't love them or care about them, but it's just unhealthy for you to be so tied up and wrapped up in solving their problems and making their lives better in whatever the capacity is, is, is a difference. So. That's like probably one of the main things I think. You over here talking about my life for real. <laughs> Same exact thing. And now, are you the oldest child, or do you have siblings? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. My older brother is oh, eight okay. years older than I am. Yeah, he's eight years older than I am, and my younger brother is two years younger than I am. But my older brother has five five sons, and mm-hmm. he unfortunately, my brother spent a lot of time in and out of prison. And so there were a lot of things with that. And so I'm like super close with his kids and, you know, things like that and him and I as well. But with my younger brother, we're a lot closer in age. So it was like my older brother, I mean, think about it. If he's 16, I'm eight. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was like we're cl- close, but I didn't have to like really take care of him in that sense, you know, until mm-hmm. things started happening with like trouble, at, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. So, yeah, no, I'm the middle. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I was just thinking about family dynamics because I know oftentimes, like, the older child is usually everything's thrown on them when it comes to dealing with, you know, the family issues, trying to solve everything. But then also the other dynamic of, you know, like, with patriarchy, 
uh, the society we live in, you know, it's often thrown a woman too. Cause I see like the how is with like my grandmother and my mother and all that stuff. So I was trying to like see with that. I but um, the woman part of it, to be honest, and I'm not really someone, and I, and I want to say that not because I think men aren't nurturers and I don't think that I just feel like that part of me was like more mm-hmm. like my brothers aren't like these like super, I'm going to tell you how I feel kind of people. And like, I'm yeah. just been, became like mother hen and just like being like so protective of them that I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying, like just more so from next. I'm not really a person that so much says this is that person's role as their gender or that person's role as, as that yeah. gender. But I also think, too, the reason why not so much the place I fall in line with my siblings, but as much as just the trauma, I think that just that brought that part out of me. You know, like if you mm-hmm. see your parents fighting and you see your dad like hitting your mom or you see the aftermath, so I don't really fully remember ever like physically seeing it, but seeing yeah. the aftermath, cops being called, people crying, yelling, screaming, like all of these things and like always wanting to like make sure that, you know, like everything's okay, then being timid when you hear loud noises because of that type of stuff. So I think it was the trauma that brought that part of me out more so mm-hmm. than the the age that I fell in line as far as them. Okay. Yeah, and necessarily I don't subscribe to all like the roles and gender norms and all that crap, but you know, just interesting to see like mm-hmm. more so to get the behind with that. But definitely with that, the anything dealing with emotions, with the childhood trauma, like the codependency whereas you're an adult, it's so hard to even realize that's the the case and that's the result of it. Because with me it's like I always was a people pleaser. Um never really spoke up for myself, but with twenty twenty 2020 is the year of establishing boundaries and standing up and honoring those boundaries for me. Because, you know, oftentimes it's like I would always be called on to do stuff and I would always have to drop what I'm doing and to help other people. And my thing was like, it's none of my business now. In 2020, it's like, okay, um, you're building your, you built your legacy. Let me get mine. You know, you're being selfish now. So that's the way I look at it because a lot of stuff that I did, I follow people's opinions. Um, I follow societies, uh, what, what they say, say you're supposed to do and all that stuff, but that held me back. But when I actually started uh, fighting, uh, fighting for myself and doing what I always thought was right, I'm seeing the positive results. So, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, just unlearning a lot of this stuff from the past, from the childhood, because that stuff can heavily impact you and the conditioning is super real. And to unravel all that stuff to become healthy and like a thriving human being is, it's, it's a lot of work, but you know, we both out here doing it, you know, and I'm proud of you for taking that step too, because it's hard, you know? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I definitely think it is because even to the point where they wouldn't even, like I said, be calling me or or bringing me in, I would find myself just interjecting a lot. And so it was like that kind of like defined me in a way. And like you said, like I a people pleaser kind of, but because I'm so outspoken that it wasn't, was really rare that someone that I didn't speak up or say my opinion, but mm. I think that it's just like that, even becoming like a caretaker for my dad or like my grandma, I'm just like being there. Like, I think it just started to kind of like be, you know, who I am. This is what I do. Like, you know, I'm going to be able yeah. to be there and wanting people to know that I love them and that I care about them. And that if, if nothing else, then they have me there. Like I find myself now, even with my nephews and I always say this, because of the person that my grandmother was in my life, I think it's like, I, I just feel like I owe people like, or not people, mm. my grandmom, like kind of like to repay her for everything that she sacrificed and did for me to make sure that I was able to have the opportunities to thrive as a person. I want to present those to the younger people in my family. Like I want to make sure that my nephews know that, Hey, listen, I'm going to always be there for you. I'm going to make sure this. And I'm like, you can do that for them, but you know, you don't have to 
kind of like hover, if that makes sense. Like you don't have to hover over them and constantly want to know what's going on so you can be involved. It's like, listen, they'll, they know I love them. I don't have to overextend for that for them to know that. Yeah, definitely. And it's like with me, it's like, I'm going to give you the rope to climb up that mountain, but you're going to do the work to get up that mountain. Like mm-hmm. you got my support to help, but, you know, I can't do the work for you. And that's kind of like been my stance, really. Mm-hmm. So we're coming into 2021 and 2020 has taught us a lot of different lessons. So for me, I know my goal is really for 2021 to really establish financial stability and financial abundance because all my life, you know, I wasn't taught the things uh, necessary to achieve that. So that's my goal for 2021. Um, And honestly, I'm starting that goal prior to 2021. Like I'm on it now. So what is your goal for 2021 when it comes to Jada Cole? I haven't really thought too much about it. I mean, I think for me, (laughs) one short goal is I want to go on a vacation. I need to do something. So I'm hoping that (laughs) the world allows us that. I'm I'm saving up my time at work. I'm like, I want to use it all now because I can't really do anything. I want to make sure that next year I can just take five days off in a row and just go somewhere nice and and enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's huge for me. I don't know. I think for me with the podcast and everything that I have going on, I'm trying to really get clarity on what I would like to see happen. I mean, ultimately, I would love to see it more along the lines of kind of like a red table talk, but not, but just about, but the grief bully. So we're having more in-person conversations without the headphones and like that type of look. Like I wanted more of like, we're sitting at the table having these conversations Mm. with people. So that's like a vision that I'm trying to like early thinking not early because I've been thinking about it for a while, but like just trying to see what I could be doing to invest in that come the new year and just working towards that. But again, it, the in-person stuff really depends heavily on how everything is going on with the virus. But overall, mm-hmm. I think for me, Taryn, honestly, if I could continue to just be consistent with, with my podcast, I mean, it was tough early on. I was going and recording like four episodes at a time because I didn't want to keep going back and forth to the studio with the pandemic and, you know, being able to have all these episodes in a row, I just want to continue to be consistent. I'm just really looking forward to that. I don't, I don't have an exact goal because the main thing, if anyone asks me what do I want or need, is like I want to go on a vacation. I need a change of scenery, some time away, just turn the phones uh, off and just chill. Yeah, so no, no Tulum. Because <laughs> anybody out there, any mama right now, for real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. But um, I definitely appreciate you for coming on. Um, I'm excited to see what you have coming up. Uh, you definitely have been that light on the internet that we do need. So thank you for that. So can you go ahead and plug your stuff, let people know how they can contact you, and leave the people with a word of encouragement because this is going to be coming out on Wednesday, and we don't know what we're going to be waking up to uh, after election night. Oof, man. <laughs> That is very true. So you can definitely follow me on Instagram. That's where I certainly hang out the most at I underscore AM underscore J Nicole. Don't be shy. Reach out to me, whatever. DM me, hit me up. Any questions or concerns, definitely feel free. You can also send me a text 856-341-9950. I certainly, again, would love to hear from you there. You can go to my website, jnicolejones.com. I have a journal, a grief bully journal with over 50 writing prompts that could be very helpful to someone that is not being able to figure out where to go next on their journey or get some clarity on their journey. So again, that's jnicolejones.com. You can get a copy of the grief bully journal. Also the Blue Heart text gang, we have a hats on there, the Blue Heart 
dad hat is on there as well so definitely feel free to reach out and go there my podcast the grief bully podcast is available everywhere spotify apple also youtube you could just type in jay nicole the grief bully or go to youtube.com slash jay nicole the grief bully and it'll come up to come up to you there so wednesday man listen we don't know what's going to be happening how we're going to be feeling but i would just tell you that this too shall pass and if you just look back over your life and you think about other times that were very difficult for you, things that you didn't understand, things that were troubling you, and ask yourself, did you get through those moments? I think it's very important on this journey to look back over times that we got through because that's what a testimony is all about. And sometimes we're looking at other people for that motivation and inspiration, but sometimes it's right there in our own story. We just have to look at it and we're not looking at it. So let that carry you. Remember that no matter how turbulent things can be, they have the possibility to get better as long as you don't quit. If you quit, you're taking yourself out of the game. You won't be able to stick around to see what the outcome can be. So keep your heads, keep the faith. And yeah, love and light to you guys. I I like that. She out here, effective communication out here impacting us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I had to hold back the urge to say, Mike Jones, when you said the phone number two, I ain't gonna lie. But definitely appreciate you. Make sure y'all go get the hats. I got to actually get my dad hat and all that stuff too. And I will be in contact with y'all. Uh, well, actually, make sure y'all rate, review, subscribe to her podcast, uh, subscribe to the YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, Jay Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. Taryn, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You are an amazing king. Thank you for your light that you're shining in our community. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And I, I'm just so excited for the future for both of us. Yes, yes. Appreciate you. Thank you. The Miseducation of the People podcast is proudly produced by the Real Talk Session Series, where all we do is provide that Real Talk only. I right, peace. Miseducation.